Staying in Contact. I'm London Mitchell. Today, part two of our discussion with Lane Mons, president of the local Better Business Bureau. We are talking about how to protect ourselves from scammers, be it over the phone, online, or through the mail. He warns us that scammers will use our emotions to overcome our better judgment. I can give you um, some specific examples of of where emotionality was used in a scam and how powerful it is, you know, and that that's what that's the first red flag. You know, obviously, if someone's asking for money or personal information, that's another red flag. But when you get them together, when you get them together, that's when you're in the danger zone. So let's let's walk walk through a couple of those examples and and wise people up, because I'm sure. If it's happened yesterday, it's going to happen again tomorrow. Yeah, it's happening right now as we talk, probably. So here's one that happened a couple weeks ago, probably about a month ago now. Uh, a gentleman called in, um, a little bit, a little bit older. I'll say a seasoned citizen, but not, you know, not. Um, he was well in control of his faculties. He was looking to buy a truck, and he went on to a website. He believed that website to be eBay Motors, which handles eBay's vehicle transactions. It looked like eBay Motors' website. It was not. It was a fake website, but it looked the same. It's a copycat. It's just the website address was a little bit different. But unless you are paying close attention, you do a Google search, you follow the link, now you're taken to a fake website. You don't don't know it. So he thought that he bought this truck. It was up in Michigan. South, southeastern Michigan, a suburb of Detroit, at a car dealership. He transferred $4,000 because the truck was advertised. You know, they're, they're hard to find. It was advertised at a really good price. That's another red flag of the uh, too good to be true type of situation. He transferred the money and then never heard anything back. So he called us and we looked into it. We determined that it was a fake website made to look like a real one. So the emotion is, looking for a hard to find item, right? The used car market was pretty di- has been pretty tough. He found it at a price that was too good to be true. It was up for sale. They were urging him to act now because these trucks fly off the lots, so to speak. And then he transferred the money. It looked legitimate. He was very happy about the purchase. It took us quite a while to convince him that it was a scam. And here's the thing. His emotion about the purchase was so strong that even after he finally acknowledged he had been scammed, what he, he still thought the truck was out there. What his brain convinced him had happened is that somebody had gotten in between him and the dealership, seeing that he was about to make a transaction and they had diverted the money to themselves. He wanted us to contact the dealership and let them know he was still going to come up and buy the truck. There was no truck. There was no dealership. It was all fictitious. And that is hard for people that don't that are not deeply involved in technology to grasp and and realize that the extent of which technology is being used for, for scams. But you know, his brain was in that emotional state, London. And he he even when he finally admitted that he had lost the money, he still thought the truck was out there for sale, not realizing they're just the truck was just a picture of a truck taken off the internet, pasted onto a fake website with a fake phone number, and they took his money and there was no truck. It was really, really hard. And he was very angry about it. 
Um, probably a little bit angry with us just because we were the messenger, but it was a real sad situation. Um, another situation, and this is a this is a classic example. She said the IRS had called her to let her know she had a tax deficiency of about seven thousand dollars, and if she didn't pay it right now over the phone or you know within a few minutes, they were going to come and arrest her. So if you want to talk about an emotional fear factor, which you brought up, getting a call from the IRS that you owe them seven grand, that's certainly the fear factor. It's very emotional. It um, They created a sense of urgency that if she didn't act, she would be, you know, she'd be arrested. And uh, she called me and asked me what to do. But those are two examples of how there's an emotional hook. And then there's a tactic to keep you in the emotional state to get your money or your data or both. Just a side note here. The IRS will never call you on the telephone and say you owe money. They never. don't work that way. They do not. They send all. In fact, they won't even accept. Um, they will not even accept email inquiries or faxes. It, they they deal by snail mail only. So they won't text you. They won't call you. They won't send you an email. So to your listeners out there, only snail mail, hard copy letter in your mailbox. That's the only way they communicate. Let's play this out. Let's say, oh my gosh, I'm the guy that tried to buy the truck or I'm the guy that got hoodwinked by the fake IRS agent or golly, I think I've given the wrong person my personal information. What can I do? How, how, can, I, how can I save myself? What can the BBB do for me? Well, first of all, I can give you a cliche that is true, and um, but also a little disheartening. When it comes to scams and especially your personal information, the old cliche, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It really applies to your personal information because once it's out, there's not really a lot you can do to get it back from a, from a criminal. You know, they have it, they have it. So don't let that happen. So I would say first, you know, and I'm going to plug my organization, of course, go to BBB.org. If you're thinking about making a purchase, go to BBB.org and, and, you know, show a preference for businesses that are part of the BBB. If they're accredited, they can display the BBB.org uh, torch logo, and they they are paying money and taking a pledge to be part of our organization. And, and we do vet um, businesses and charities more deeply than most other organizations vet them. So we don't just let anybody in. It's not pay to play. You do have to pay membership dues, but not all of our applicants get in. And, you know, we do uh, we do have to kick businesses out every year because they're not following the pledge of ethics and honesty. So that's one step. Also say local businesses in general, shop locally if you can. Patronize, visit your local businesses if you can, because local businesses are less likely to be a fraudster. They're not the Nigerian prince trying to get his inheritance, you know. Uh, so you, you can look them in the eye. And I, I always try to plug local businesses. I've got 24 counties in this better business area, uh, 36,000 businesses, 1.75 million people. I'd like to see that 1.75 million people use those 36,000 businesses in our counties as much as they can. It's not always possible, but that, those would be two places to start. Really, there's no shame if you get hoodwinked 
if you get scammed. These scammers, as you mentioned, uh, they know how to play on your emotion. They are very, very well practiced in how to present their scam, how to talk to you, how to come up with excuses, alibis, how to how to really hook you and reel you in. So good um, businesses, legitimate businesses, their sales forces are trained to anticipate and overcome objections to the sale, right? We know that whether it's in-person sales or telemarketing, they kind of have an answer for all the reasons you might not want to buy. And that's definitely true of the scammers as well. They have scripts that they follow and, uh, but they are, they are taught to redirect you. So this is another good example. So everyone's heard of the puppy scams and they will, they will pick up again in the winter because people are generally a little lonelier in the winter. And so that's when they look to buy pets. So the puppy scammers have a great system to keep you on the hook emotionally. They know that as they begin to ask for more money, you're going to start to question the situation. You know, romance, you know, fake catfishers that are that are fake ro romantic uh, entanglements that are all online. They know the same thing. You're going to there's going to come a point where you start to question, hmm, what's going on here? Should I really send this money? Is this legitimate? And they have tactics to escalate the scam to keep you in a, an emotional state. So the puppy scammer uh, might say, um, well, you know, it, it's actually the, the dog's ready to be shipped. It's on the it's in the airport in L.A. It came in from Hawaii. It came in from overseas or whatever. It's on, it's at the airport. They just need $105 because you have to have a special permit to ship a pet on a plane. Or it has to be in a special cage for the plane. Or it has to be air conditioned. Or it has to have a health check. And they keep putting these things up because they, you know, they're preying on the idea you don't want to leave that little puppy stranded on the tarmac, do you, right? Or you don't want them to put that cat or that dog in the belly of the plane with no air conditioning. And so they redirect your thinking back to a fear or a pleasure like you talked about earlier. And they'll do the same thing with romance scams. As soon as you start to ask questions, they will redirect to a different issue. And it's usually one that has a lot of emotional sympathy, car accident, medical trauma, you know, a problem with a family or a friend. Again, the whole thing is to get you back to that emotional state and away from the rational state. It's just, it's been the same that way for scams all through history, London. The difference is now with computers, the internet platforms, artificial intelligence, they can reach so many more people. And for them, it's a numbers game. 99% of us can figure it out, but the 1% that bites, that's providing their cash flow. Is there a blanket rule such as if it's too good to be true, it's not, never make a deal with anyone over the telephone, uh, don't buy online, or are there safe ways to be able to, say, buy online? Well, I think buy not going away. I don't want to say don't buy online. It's part of our economy. Um, yeah, there are there are some some rules. So, and I'll give you another specific example that actually involves me. Back in the summer, I got a text. Most of us have gotten these. 
that said, um, looked like it was from my bank, Fifth Third. Your, your bank account's been compromised. This is a security alert. Please click this text to, uh, you know, to freeze your account and get, and, you know, it, it looks legitimate. And as much as I'm in the, the middle of this kind of situation, I'm busy. I get texts. Um, I almost hit that link in the text. Like my finger was going toward it. And then I'm like, oh, that would probably be bad if the president of the Better Business Bureau got scammed on his bank account. So one of the things to your larger question is you don't do what they say. I stopped. I pulled my debit card out of my uh, wallet. I flipped it over and I called the 800 number on the back. And I asked the bank, hey, has my bank account been hacked? No. So to answer your bigger question, you have to not bite. There's nothing that urgent that you have to respond to when they contact you. Stop, hang up, don't click the button, don't respond to the email. Now go do your own investigation. If it looks like it's coming from your grandchild or your nephew and they're asking for money because they got arrested on spring break, okay, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. Don't respond to what came in to you. Stop and call family members that you know you have the right phone number for. Call that, call that grandson or granddaughter. Call their, call their parent and say, is such and such on spring break? Are they traveling? You're going to have to do your own due diligence. You're just not going to be able to take these communications at face value. And be very careful if you get emotionally drawn in well sure uh grandparent responding to a plea for help from a grandchild that's pretty emotional you know and everybody wants to help the you know their younger family members whether it's a niece or a nephew or whatever sure that's a that's a good hook i um, scammers did a good job with that one the other thing is their their messages are going to be more persuasive london because now they are scanning social media. They're scanning Facebook for pictures and names so that before they decide to reach out to a grandparent, they can look up a particular uh, person's Facebook account and see maybe when their birthday is. They look at pictures and recent events and they will weave that into the text or the email. Hey, Grandma. Hey, Grandpa. Remember how much fun we had at the family reunion in Tiffin, Ohio? last summer, you know, they might have pictures of that posted. So it really will seem legitimate. You have to not respond to the outreach and you have to stop and do your own phone calls to, to vet that, to see if it's legitimate. The scammers are out there and Lane Mons, president of the Better Business Bureau, is advising us all to adopt an anti-scam mindset for the coming year. I want to thank Lane for his invaluable insight. I'm London Mitchell, inviting you to join us next week as we continue staying in contact.